Let's begin with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, the gathering here uh, this afternoon. We thank you uh, that you are a kind uh, to your creatures, uh, that we are uh, not off someplace else today. We thank you uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of sinners. Uh, we thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, which has as its backdrop a judgment. We do pray uh, that you would deal with each one of us in this day according to our needs, uh, that you would uh, provide for us uh, the, uh, the necessary uh, stimulus and consolation that comes uh, from this doctrine in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so I have as a topic the, the last chapter uh, of the confession and just to attempt a short segue from the previous uh, discussion um, I do think that one of the reasons why we have the the shallowing out uh, of the gospel in our day and of the use of the gospel, the desire for uh, for other things. When frankly, I hate to say this, but the New Testament is so clear. The Lord Jesus says, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, then would my servants fight. But yet we have, uh, since the Reformation, we have the Huguenots taking up their swords uh, against the King of France. We have the Covenanters taking up their swords uh, against their, their duly constituted, you're not my king because you're not regenerate. Okay, so the, the, uh, there are certainly, in an hour day, the 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 bright light of the gospel is not as bright as it ought to be. And so we tend to kind of move off a little bit. And one of the pieces of it is the, uh, the integral nature of judgment in the gospel. And I hope to uh, say that just a little bit. It's not just, well, that's then. It's not just then. As we, as we will see. Okay, I have three points uh, that I would like to uh, make here this morning, this afternoon, this morning, right now. First of all, judgment is a pointer to the character of God and the deeds of God as they relate to men. So start with God Himself. Secondly, judgment is central to the message of the Scriptures, and then we'll focus on the Gospel. And thirdly, judgment is both Stimulus and consolation for the believer. First of all, then, judgment is a pointer to who God is and His deeds. The first, first statement under that is that judgment is basic to the human condition. It's self-evident that not all is just in flux, that everything is changing and everything can change. Instead, as the scriptures tell us, and it is inherent in who man is, there is a creator. That creator is a just judge. 
remember the, the nature of the Apostle Paul's argument in Romans 1 and 2. Uh, we remember that he begins with the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men, okay? He goes on in the second chapter to speak of God as a just judge. Now, this first part of Romans, he's speaking to the man without God and without the gospel. All he's doing is declaring who God is. He does not defend the, the nature of God at all. He just declares part of that is God as the just judge. And there is that inside every son of Adam which resonates. There, I am a created being and there is justice. There is an an absolute end to all of this uh, loosey-goosiness that I both see and feel and uh, attempt to participate in my life. And this, this bottom line is on nearly every page of the scriptures. It's not out there someplace. Okay. And I'm going to go through that a little bit in a minute. Along with that, if we noted that the Apostle uh, Paul in Romans 1 uh, is declaring who God is. Judgment, it is the doctrine of judgment that declares, may I say, the godness of God. And it is the, the doctrine of God that is under attack in our day among Evangelicals, among Reformed. Uh, oh, Jesus is just subordinate to the Father uh, from all eternity. Uh, uh, God reacts to stimuli from his creation as opposed to being the actor. Okay? And instead, instead, scriptures teach that judgment is the revelation of what? Of God's glory. The Lord Jesus, when confronted, if you will, by the Sanhedrin, said, you, to all those around him, you will see the Son of Man. You, you, not, not, not you generic. You will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. So there is this personalness, this everyman-ness, with regards judgment. It says, as the lightning shines from the east to the west, and uh, as, as the Apostle Paul loves to quote from Isaiah, both in Romans and Philippians, every knee will bow. That, that's the backdrop then. And the Lord Jesus says, I didn't come to judge, but all judgment has been given to the Son. So God's righteousness, his, the justice in his person expressed in the giving of his son are under attack. There is, a, there is not the, uh, the inherent sense that God is just and he will express that justice, however unjust 
society and lives and things that happen. If we don't have some sense of God's ultimate wisdom and justice, we will not react properly to the gross injustice that we see around us. We will not have that proper dichotomy. It's necessary for us. So it's not merely that judgment is the end. Certainly it is. But it is a visible end. It is not just, well, there's something out there. We don't have to think about it very often. If I have a, uh, a central goal here this morning, it is, it is that judgment become far more central uh, in our lives than it has been prior. So it is a visible terminus and for a reason. We start with Isaiah 34, and the statement is that the sky will be rolled up as a scroll, uh, repeated in Revelation chapter 6. Right? This is a, a, God's, God takes the universe and says, this is mine, I think we'll just uh, have, have enough of this for now. Um, uh, a hymn says, Great God, what do I see and hear? The end of all creation. The judge of mankind does appear on clouds of glory seated. We are intended uh, as, as humans and certainly as believers to have that as central to us. So I just wanted quickly to go through the uh, the attributes of God as displayed then in, in judgment. First of all is omniscience. Now we know these things, but this focuses them for us. First of all, uh, omniscience. Now the Lord Jesus says, the secrets of men will be revealed, Matthew 10, 26. The apostle says, on that day when God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Uh, this, this is not just uh, a fact that, uh, that we could think about once in a while that God knows all things. They will all be revealed, right, on that day. God's eternal power and wisdom and immutability. The first thing that we need to remember here, uh, as described clearly, by the Lord Jesus and the apostles. Here is uh, the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 17. He says, He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. So it's not like, well, God's mercy is uh, transcendent, is, is uh, ascendant here now, but sometime or other there's going to be a tipping point. And oh, no, 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 mercy is, mercy is gone and here comes justice. He has appointed a day. That day is fixed. 
His character, his immutability, uh, his wisdom, his decree are displayed in that he has appointed a day. Well, Jesus says exactly the same thing, right? He just emphasizes the fact that we don't know that day. But there is a day. So there is an eternal judgment facing uh, each one. And the Lord Jesus is very... um, We know this. The Lord Lord Jesus is very upfront about bringing judgment uh, into our uh, lives. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. We, we are faced with ultimate realities uh, which include this judgment. And it's certainly the case, as has been under attack uh, in our day, that this, it, this judgment is an eternal judgment. If heaven is eternal, judgment is eternal. Uh, the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 25, 41, Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So we have the same word used. So if, if heaven is eternal, hell is eternal. I don't want to belabor this, but I need to because we, we have had defections both from the kind of the common evangelical and the reformed camp in our generation. So let me say a couple more things along this line. The same term that, I, that was just translated eternal is also used of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and redemption and our inheritance. Secondly, conditional immortality, that is only some are immortal, is a Socinian doctrine. The the rationalist, Faustus Socinus, in the 1600s was, was the author of this view. And those who follow them today are for the most part cults. Don't, don't forget that. It's not worthy of God. His creation of man in his image. Nor of Christ in that image. Nor the infinite value of redemption. To say, well, some men, only some men, will live forever. And one more uh, argument on that side. If a change of state is possible, someone is, uh, is resurrected 
punished for a while and then annihilated. If a change of state during this same period that we called eternal, if a change of state from to say to annihilation is possible, on the one hand, a change of state for a believer in heaven could be possible. This is an immutable state following the return of the Lord Jesus. Certainly we would see the the justice of God here on display in the judgment. It's an ultimate vindication and display uh, of his justice. Secondly, judgment is central to the message of the scriptures. Not merely uh, the Lord Jesus spoke a lot about hell. It's a backbone of God's revelation of himself to us. Genesis 2.17 The day you eat, you will surely die. Now, some would say, well, no, that's just physical death. Hopefully, no one in this room would say that. That's not just physical death. That's spiritual death. All the way back in Genesis 2.17. And it has dominated Revelation since. So we have death there, all the way to the gospel. And the... First, John the Baptist, and then the Lord Jesus say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, he's not saying at that point, you know, we have a church age coming. The statement, the kingdom of God is at hand, is a statement of judgment. Is a statement of judgment. We have a, uh, it's usually appended to it, in that statement of the gospel. The one who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's it's a statement of here's the judgment coming and there is this little time. There is a time to repent. That's what the Lord Jesus was declaring. That was his the burden of his message. So and the nature of this gospel judgment uh, is not, may I say it, conditional. May I I put that in that way? The the nature of this gospel judgment sounds like Jonah at Nineveh. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You hear the inevitability, right? Right? That's, 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 that's the gospel here. Here is the coming of judgment. And there is this, uh, this is coming. And the, the, uh, the, the, then there's this little appendage, never given in Jonah, but, but implied someplace, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You have to have this, this term saved because you have certain judgment coming and announced. That's the nature of judgment uh, in the scriptures. 
So it's not just sin and guilt. It's judgment. It's judgment. God has built this sense of ultimate judgment into the hearts of men. And that is what is invoked in the gospel. The gospel is not some uh, ultimate um, reasoning. Let me reason from first causes. What is the first cause? Well, the first cause is God. Now we go from there, right? The, the, the first other causes are not, well, I, I think, therefore I am, or it's God. God who will judge the living and the dead. We need to make sure that that is central uh, in our outlook personally and in our communication. Along with that then, as a necessary corollary, the scriptures invoke a sense of transitoriness here. If this is coming, it makes everything that I, that I know here viewed in a different way. Remember the Lord Jesus saying, don't lay up a gold and silver where moth and rust. I mean, gold doesn't rust. But he is treating it as it does. Peter does exactly the same thing in First Peter. Peter, Peter, here's Peter in 2 Peter 3. Since all these things will be dissolved, he says, what manner of persons ought you to be in all conduct and godliness? You see how it puts everything in a perspective? It, I look at things around me in a different way, seeing that they will all go away. And the Lord Jesus uh, when asked about uh, an event uh, in, in life, he said, well, that's neither here nor there. He says, but unless you all repent, you will all likewise perish. That's the backdrop. That's the, uh, the necessary point of view. I just quoted uh, Romans 1 uh, again. So this is the, uh, the Apostle Paul saying, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. That is the, the going in position uh, with regards to the gospel. Okay. And then lastly, judgment is consolation and stimulus for the believer. First of all, we see God's character and power, and attributes. We need also to see, and this is consolation, judgment is viewed in the scriptures as cleansing. I have a quote from Psalm 102 that is not uh, to... 2 Peter 3, that same passage I quoted before. 2 Peter 3, 
13. Uh, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. The, uh, here's, here's John's uh, statement of that in Revelation 21. And he's quoting the Old Testament. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see the, uh, the, the ultimate separation. The Lord Jesus says, I will separate the nations as, as you separate sheep from goats. The separation is necessary for us to view in our minds. We who are vexed with the world and the flesh and the devil. The, the, the central view that we see in the book of Hebrews of rest. There remains a rest. Right? There, there is this, this rest from, from the presence of sin, from the vexing of sin. It's not just, we're, we're there with God, yeah, but, but all of that which yanks at us, that, that is... That is what, as the Apostle says in Galatians 5, so that you do not do the things that you would do. There's a reason for that. We are then exhorted to have our minds set there, that that is where Christ is, because all of this that's here, not only is going to be burned up, but it, it is that which we don't, uh, we don't desire uh, all of that which yanks us down. Psalm 101. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. You could multiply such statements many, many times over uh, in the scriptures. Uh, Isaiah 35. And it shall be called the highway of holiness the unclean shall not pass over it. The heart of the believer melts at that. That's that. I would be there. Okay. Isaiah 52. O, o Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Joel 3.17. No aliens shall ever pass through her again. Okay. So there is nothing so health, healthful as to keep the reality of judgment in our hearts and our minds. This is the focus that gives perspective. It stimulates to godliness and enables perseverance. Here's the, here's the Apostle Peter early on. He's just been speaking about a hope. We have a, an inheritance undefiled. He says, rest your hope fully, he says, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Somehow I missed the statement uh, in my notes. And not only is judgment a revelation of God's justice, it's a revelation of the Lord Jesus to us. It's a stimulus to us besides a consolation. 
Here's the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 24. Verses 15 and 16. He says, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. Read that as there is a day of judgment. Now listen to the way that the Apostle Paul deals with that in his own heart and life. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. It's not just what judgment is out there someday. It is, it is an inner motivation at every instant for him. The Apostle Peter, the same thing I just quoted, First uh, Peter one. Here a little bit, a couple verses later, he says, "And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges." According to each one's work, he says then, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Now he's not saying cringing fear, but certainly there is this awareness of God's judgment and justice that is, and how many times does the Apostle Paul say, we will all stand? So it is then not pietism to focus here as the scriptures do. We talked about this the supposed large making enlarging the gospel and frankly the the view of those who think we have to do all these other things is well your gospel is small. And the the word appended so often to that is pietism. Oh you're just a little you're a little pietist, you know. You spend your life on your knees and you don't do anything. It is not pietism to focus here. The scriptures do focus here. The scriptures command us. Who may abide the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. That's the Lord Jesus. If, if there are difficulties, there always have been, there always will be grave difficulties, personally, societally. And the Lord Jesus is cutting through that, if you will. Remember, he had uh, a disciple who was called the Zealot, meaning he was a, a, an ardent political uh, doer. Until. Until. And he says, watch, therefore. Watch. What are we walk, watching for? The day of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And every New Testament writer, without exception, has the same exhortation. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. Since all these things will be dissolved, what sort of persons ought you to be? 
Revelation 14, 11, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. James 5, 8, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Jude 5, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So there is, a, there is not merely, oh, it might be a good idea. It might be a, uh, I could infer this. You don't need to infer this. It is commanded. And then it is stimulus for us to persevere in adversity. As I said, this level of adversity is, the Lord Jesus was in the midst of great adversity. He was answering a question of how do I deal with the, with the, with the, the crushing heel of Rome and the, and the, 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 the horrible aberrant power of, of the scribes and the Pharisees uh, and and he, he did not uh, say, well, you know, just kind of uh, go along or, or, or stand up like this. He gives a gospel judgment-centered answer. And here's the apostle uh, Paul uh, dealing with this young church in Thessalonica. It is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest, with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Where are we looking? Where are we looking? That's a question for each one of us. Where are we looking? Hebrews 3, 6, and 14, he says, if you hold the beginning of your confidence to the end. And remember, the the theme of that book is there is rest for of the people of God. We're not to be diverted from that to which we are called, which will bring tribulation. It will bring tribulation. We have that uh, set of exhortations and that promise that it will will bring tribulation. So for each one of us, if an unbeliever is to be commanded toward the gospel on that which is in him already, and that is God is, God is just, and God will judge. How much more we? How much more we in terms of our our daily lives and our outlook? Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we do bless you that you are God indeed, uh, that you have made us in your image and that we have a never dying soul uh, which we must uh, give account to you Uh, we bless you uh, that you uh, display yourself uh, in creation in your word we thank you for the Lord Jesus uh, who uh, took on our flesh uh, that uh, that which we are not that he has been for us we bless you for him We bless you for your word here. We do pray that you would deal with each one of us according to our needs now. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, I don't know. I didn't want to go too, too long. Uh, This was already a relatively long session. Any, uh, (laughs) yeah. Oh, uh, I just had a personal question.
question. Um, we know that Scripture says, uh, like an example, Hebrews 10 says that God and the New Covenant will cast our sins as far as the East is from the West, and He will remember them no more. My personal conviction or confliction is at the end of Ecclesiastes or later in the New Testament where it says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What are we being judged for? Is our sin going to be brought out? Uh, is it going to be what we lacked to do for Jesus, what we did for Jesus? Uh, you lost. Well, I'm, the Apostle Paul says that we will, we will be there for what we have done. So that's, that's very clear. Uh, so I, I don't think you can get around that. Uh, so I, I think the, it's not proper for us to cast our deeds aside uh, even on the basis of the blood of Christ, my my responsibility is obedience. My my total lack is obedience. So I go there, and He will judge. But Christ is the Savior. I can't say it more than that. But I don't. Th- I don't think it's it's. Oh well, you're a believer. Next, I've heard that. I've heard. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that. He says, the apostle says, on the basis of your deeds, and that that makes for uh, a, a the kind of conscience that the apostle displays. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, in my this is an area I need to learn much on. So this is well, it was a believe me, I was not five days ago where I am now just to be able to talk seriously. It was a great blessing to study for this. Um, my question deals with those who differ on the uh, imminent return of Christ. Uh, could he come back today? Not that he's not able or not, but or are there things in the scriptures that would not allow us to believe that he would come back today? Well, why would you think when the apostle says to the contrary that he could come back today? Uh, I mean, post-millennialists, this doesn't seem like the conditions if you're a post-millennialist that God would be coming back to. Okay, well, that's post-millennialist. What does the Lord What does the apostle say? He says it can't happen until, right? The, the man of sin is revealed Right? That's in, that's in Thessalonians. And he says, don't, don't think that the, the resurrection is passed. Uh, so he gives real conditions. We have to have a revel, revelation of the man of sin, and there has to be a falling away. I mean, unless you believe those conditions have been met, that's where you'd have to be. That's not where the imminent people are. They just believe that, because the Lord, I think what the Lord Jesus said, watch, therefore it could be any instant. I, I don't think that... I don't know what they do with that passage in Thessalonians. Well, I mean, for most of them, it's because they're separating the rapture from the second coming. So the rapture, therefore, isn't any, you know, any minute, you know, okay. expression. Whereas the second coming, there's things that have to happen. So it's that condition. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Would you? I'm sorry. I. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we're, we're, we're talking. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, 
would you relate uh, the man of sin with uh, what uh, what John writes over in First John about there are many antichrists there in the world and uh, follow that up. I, I'm I'm not man of sin. I'm not there. I'm sorry. I, okay. Well, no. I was. I was just asking. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No. I mean, I mean, the apostle says he has to be revealed. And how many men of sin have we supposedly had, even in the last hundred years? And of course, the Puritans had their view of the man of sin. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I don't have a clear view myself. Yeah. Let me ask you just one follow-up question. And this really isn't to put you on the spot. <laughs> Let me ask it to the crowd that way. You know, the, uh, no, but uh, as far as the man of sin goes, is it necessary for us to recognize who the man of sin is and how would we recognize him based on what little revelation we have regarding that uh, so that is it possible that the man of sin could already be revealed right now? As I say, so many people have thought. Yeah. Right? But that's part of my, um, I guess, exhortation of the, um, the serious nature of Satan's opposition in every generation. And whether or not you think you can see the man of sin, the, the, the opposition in every generation will be serious. We spoke of the, the Puritan era and, and the topsy-turviness of it. I mean, I was born in the late 40s and I lived through, you know, the, the, the no-kidding atheistic uh, regime that was it was the Soviet Union with its tentacles all over the globe, not just in the Soviet Union. There were there was this nation, this nation, this nation, this nation, and we thought, oh, this is terrible. But before that, there was World War One, there was World War Two, and everybody had their view of one of these people. Mussolini was the Antichrist. But and now we have this whole woke thing, and oh, by the way, who do they hate most? Right? They hate Christians. They hate Christians. So this, what we have to do is see Satan's machinations, and we have to stand. Um, I mean, Lloyd-Jones, back in the, the late 60s, was convinced that this was, <laughs> that that was the end. Well, we've made it another 50 years. Uh, I'm not prepared myself to, to point a finger and say this. Myself, and, and, I, and I'll, I'll profess, you know, a lower spiritual insight, but, but at least I'm ready to go here, and that is that Satan has uh, his machinations in each generation, and they are powerful, and we're foolish if we're not standing. Brother Bob, I, I guess someone, I was next door getting the food ready, and you may have already touched upon this, but one thing that I really like about our confession of faith and the biblical truths that it contains is just how practically they help us as churches, and especially as pastors and ministers, and those of us who've got to minister to the people. 
I have never uh, been called upon to, to perform a funeral service, but I've seen many, and the most recent one was uh, probably six months ago, and um, I couldn't help but be very grieved of how the funeral sermon was delivered. It was an Assemblies of God pastor. Um, and as I was looking at this chapter of confession, it seems to me that there's just a really good outline here of material to help you at a, at a funeral sermon. What, what would you say in this, in your studies, would be some key points that you think a minister should bring at a funeral sermon out of this last chapter regarding the last judgment? Well, well, I mean, I, I, my parents are assemblies of God, uh, and they're both, they're both dead in the last two years and at assemblies of God funerals, and I exhorted the pastor in both cases, I want the gospel preached, and they were faithful, I felt like, to Amen. preach the gospel. And I think that's what you want to see, because lots of people are brought in, of every sort, people who knew them, uh, who knows where they are. And to presume that you know who they are, that's foolishness, you have an opportunity. And they were faithful to preach the gospel. And I think that's what's necessary. I, I, would, I would leave it at that myself. And, and speaking of uh, the... Um, no, nah, I'll leave it at that. Okay, yeah, more? Are we ready for lunch? I just kind of think it's a bit funny, or ironic, that would be probably better, that... Most people that ascribe to 1689 want to articulate, okay, we're not with that Pope being the Antichrist, but you talk to devout Catholics, they probably think the Pope's the Antichrist right now. And they're falling away. Oh, oh, Francis. So you talk about the man of lawlessness and then the falling away. Well, in the Catholic Church, they're falling away left and right, the devout ones, the conservative ones. Yeah. And and when the issues were sharp in the Reformation, uh, the it, you know not just Calvin in that generation, but the response with Council of Trent and the anathemas in Trent, which stand and they can't possibly back away from it, and remained you know what they think is a is a you know an, in, uh, is a church that won't change. They've anathemized the gospel. So, yeah. Okay. Yes? <laughs> Just one, Bob. Would you say, you know, and that, you know, what the Thessalonians says regarding the man of sin? Yeah. Okay. Would you say that that would indicate, and I'm pressing on this, would you say that would indicate that, that we certainly will have a personal antichrist toward the end? Well, I think clearly. I think no doubt that there is someone who is in, in, in the temple of God calling himself God, whatever that looks like. And certainly the Puritans thought that the Pope was that. Um, and we, we say, eh. but, but But then the Catholics were killing people in those days. Okay?